Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. The Road to Autonomy is brought to you in part by Stantec Generation AV. Stantec Generation AV combines some of the most experienced AV experts in the industry with the resources of a global engineering firm. Stantec Generation AV provides education, consulting, assessment, and guidance to any industry interested in autonomous vehicles. Learn more at Stantec.com. Hello and welcome to The Road to Autonomy. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Bert Kaufman, Head of Corporate and Regulatory Affairs, Zooks. Welcome to the podcast, Bert. Oh, Grayson, it is uh, really great to be here. Great to spend some time with you. I think uh, we were talking earlier, the last time I saw you, was a serendipitous encounter on the, the mean streets of Palm Beach. It was crazy. That was fun. I'm sitting there, I'm out for my exercise, I'm riding my bicycle, and I see you and your lovely family, and I'm not doing like a double, triple take, and then I turn around. <laughs> I said, holy smokes, it's Bert. <laughs> we couldn't have planned it. No, and then you put that funny Instagram post up. So, <laughs> And for the safety advocates, I was wearing a helmet, so I was doing the right thing. That's right. You were on your bike wearing a helmet, being very safe. Oh, gosh. We, Bert, we've got so many great stories we're going to get into in this podcast, but I want to go back before we met, because you worked in D.C., you did incredible things in D.C., as serving as a senior advisor and secretary of Penny Prisker's office of business liaison inside the Department of Commerce. D.C.'s changed a lot. You've got deep D.C. roots. What was that experience like during the Obama administration and serving in Penny Prisker's office? Oh, man. I mean, it was a pretty amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and experience, first and foremost, to uh, serve the country to get that opportunity. You know, I think public service is really important. I think if people have the opportunity in their careers or their lives to serve the public in some way, shape or form, take it seriously, think about it, consider it, it can be incredibly rewarding. I think what was amazing about that experience is all of the people that I got to work with on the issues that we got to work on and the places that we got to go. Secretary Pritzker, is just an incredible person, very accomplished business leader, an incredibly hard worker. I mean, I have actually not been around too many people who have worked as hard as her and really demanded excellence and a really high quality work product from her team. For me, I was there for about two and a half years uh, in the second term of the Obama administration, working on a lot of trade issues, a lot of issues relative to innovation and entrepreneurship. It was uh, sort of through that opportunity that I got really, really excited about autonomous vehicles. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, my role was to help drive for engagement with the CEO community, with business leaders across the country and around the world to help American companies export overseas. Just a pretty amazing opportunity. One of the programs you started was the Presidential Ambassadors for Global Entrepreneurship Program. And I believe Damon John from Shark Tank was involved in that because you sent me a photo. You're out in LA and you're, you're sitting in the Shark Tank chair. I said, oh, did Bert sell Zooks and he, he's now a shark? <laughs> I got to pitch Zooks to the sharks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I got to work on when, when I was in the Obama administration was on innovation entrepreneurship. What is the government's role in helping to support that and helping to spur business creation and new businesses. And one of the, the concepts that we came up with and actually got to build and implement was, you know, how do you take that which is uniquely American, which is our sort of zeal, our culture around business creation, 
the idea that you know you can create a business it might not thrive it might not work but you know and you might fail but it's not going to be super detrimental to you as a person you can pick yourself back up and start over again and so how do you take those ideas and then work to export them across the country and around the world so you know our innovation ecosystems silicon valley austin boston pretty finely tuned machines in this country, but how do you take that to other pockets of the U.S. that want to invest in their innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystems? How do you tap into that youth excitement and energy all around the world to build a startup? And so what we did with the PAGE program is ask really uh, well-known, successful U.S. entrepreneurs to lend their time, their energy, their expertise to help us go out across the country and around the world to share their stories, to mentor, to take on a signature initiative where you work with maybe a certain group of people or a certain country through a U.S. embassy to really mentor up and coming uh, business leaders. And I think we probably worked with about 20 well-known entrepreneurs, Brian Chesky from Airbnb, Steve Case, Damon John, as you mentioned, Julie Hanna, Helen Greiner, who invented the Roomba, Daphne Kohler, who started Coursera, Hamdi Lakaya, who started Chobani. And, and these were people who are deeply committed to the idea of, of entrepreneurship and really helping young people think about what it means to uh, build something. And it didn't have to be, you know, it could be a, a nonprofit enterprise. It could be any kind of enterprise. It was amazing. We took these people across the the country and around the world to global entrepreneurship summits. Morocco was one we did one in Silicon Valley as well. And the most amazing one we did was in, in Nairobi, Kenya. So we hosted GES in Nairobi, Kenya, President Obama. It was his first trip back to the country as president. And it was one of those pinch me moments to sort of be in that presidential motorcade driving through the streets of, of Nairobi as people are waving the Kenyan flag and the American flag. I've been in a presidential motorcade, but here in the United States, I can only imagine what being is like being in a presidential motorcade overseas and all the advanced work that goes into this. You mentioned Brian Chesky. He's an individual who I have a ton of respect for. I'm a big fan of Airbnb. I think the gentleman's completely underrated in the way that he's completely reimagining the hospitality business. What was it like spending time with him? These incredible visions that come out on earnings calls and, and writings. Was that how he really is in person? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a true founder CEO type. And I think what's unique about him and, and being a founder CEO is that, like, you know, you have figured out every nook and cranny of the business in your mind. You know, you might not have been able to explain it to everybody yet, but you sort of see around corners in ways that others don't. And I think that that was something super unique, is something super unique about him and the founding team at Airbnb. They think so deeply about, about the business, how to build it, how to communicate about it, how to build the brand around it, which is really special. It's completely special. They're going to transform hospitality, and they're only in the first inning. Zooks is only in the first inning as well. I don't even know if you're even in the first inning. You're still, in my opinion, in AAA, but you got great things coming. You're that star prospect that everybody knows. Oh, Zooks is coming up. It's going to take over the majors and do wonderful things. But before we, we dive into Zooks, you're in D.C. and you mentioned you started getting interested in autonomous vehicles. Was it a, a meeting on the hill or a meeting with an entrepreneur that really kind of sparked that fire? And you said, wait a second, 
there's something really cool happening here. You know, it was actually, give credit where credit is due, Google did an amazing job of helping educate policymakers about the benefits of autonomous vehicles very, very early on. And in 2014, they brought one of their Lexus vehicles to DC for rides. And I actually had an opportunity to go for a ride in a Lexus Google that had been retrofitted with sensors and compute. And I mean, I knew nothing at the time. So they took us, they picked us up at the Commerce Department and then, which is in downtown DC, by the way, right? It's in the middle of the city and then took us onto the highway. And that's when they turned on autonomy. So we were actually like, you know, doing, you know, I guess an ADAS kind of a drive at that time. But it was just one of those moments where you're like, yeah, everything is going to change with this technology. And, you know, you think about everything, the, the effects of this technology on how people get around, and it could be pretty amazing. And then a couple months later in 2015, we were hosting a summit and I was uh, in the green room and it was a CEO summit, Eric Schmidt from Google and the then president of BMW North America, Ludwig Vilsch, <laughs> were, were in the green room and we were, you know, just sort of talking, Vilsch were getting ready to go on stage. I said to Vilsch, you know, okay, so I've been in the Google self-driving vehicle. When am I going to be able to go in the BMW self-driving vehicle? And it was one of those moments where like, you know, Vilsch looked at me and he's like, why would we do that? We are the ultimate driving machine, human driving machine. And Schmidt was like, this is like, this is the future. You guys have got to be investing in this. this and, and Eric Schmidt's very, really charismatic guy. And, you know, just answered, had a, a very staunch response to like, the importance of this technology for the future. And I thought that that just sort of, you know, said to me that this was going to be a technology driven investment in the future and was going to be really, really big. And so in 2016, I left the administration a couple months before it had ended, moved out to Silicon Valley because my then fiance and now wife was finishing law school. And, and that's when I met Zooks. And leaving as a political appointee in the Obama administration knew that I was time limited in my tenure in government, was not going to get carried over to the next administration, and wanted to join something that was very early stage that was going to take on some really, really big challenges, and that most importantly was going to solve big problems for the world. You know, as somebody who, you know, spent time in government and now in the private sector, I'm a problem solver. And really, really am driven by helping solve big problems for society. So the opportunity to join a company like Zooks, which at the time was you know, like the only company that was developing a fully autonomous battery electric vehicle from the ground up and had identified a very, very unique way to solve this problem was super appealing. Because when I had started looking into the industry, my initial take on it was that of course it was going to be incremental of course we're going to take existing automobile infrastructure and retrofit it with sensors and software and then call it autonomous and you know you still see that approach today but i do think the the step change approach is what's needed to get this technology to market but you know we met grace and what do we meet? we met in 2016 as well and you know you had really big dreams for this technology very, very early on. And, you know, always curious sort of what made you see the light. 
We, we did meet in 2016, and your founding team, and Tim and Jesse, and all those guys were very kind to, to host me at the Firehouse and the Accelerator. And I'll never forget it. Worked with Ivan before you joined, and yes, I get an email from Ivan. You're no longer going to work with me. You're going to work with this gentleman named Bert who we hired. I'm like, oh, great. Here I am. I'm getting pushed out to pasture. Zooks is taking <laughs> off, and I got the new guy. Oh, great. <laughs> and little did I know, you and I became really good friends. So, Ivan, thank you for making that connection. You have Ivan on the podcast. <laughs> Let's do it. Ivan's a great guy. I became interested in the technology just seeing what are the experiences in the entertainment that can be unlocked living in Beverly Hills at that time and serving as the co-chair for the Thomas vehicle task force. Thank you, Mayor Mears for that appointment. There's just all this dead time. And when we lived in Beverly Hills and we would go for tacos over the Brentwood country Mart, great tacos and go like five miles. It took me over an hour. Okay. This is boring. It's a complete waste of time. I'm like, wait a second. There's all this time that can happen, all these experiences that can happen. And during that time, I started spending a lot of time in the innovation lab at 21st Century Fox, uh, Paramount Studios, and Disney Imagineering. So I got to see some really, really cool things. And at that time, if you want to call it, we were in the hype cycle for VR. Remember that was everywhere. Oh, the Oculus this. But what the studios did, and Paul Allen was still alive at that time, uh, the Microsoft co-founder, and he had some really interesting technology around augmented reality that I was able to play with. I said, wait a second. If you can take all this technology and put it in the vehicle, you've got something special. And me being me, the finance, I'm just, wait a second, you could put a commerce layer on top of this and charge and make a lot of money. That's where the money's going to be made. The world's best engineers are going to figure this out. But this became absolutely obsessed with the experience layer. And that's something that I continue to be obsessed with. And I'll never forget it. It was myself, Mayor Mirish, Ivan, Jesse, and uh, co-chair AJ Wilmer. We were invited up to the accelerator before he joined. And they gave us, uh, not a phone, it was like some sort of tablet that you put around your neck to call the original sled. And then we mm-hmm. sat down at the bottom and we picked it up and they said, okay, watch this. That was the coolest thing in the world when we had that experience. That to me was like that game-changing moment when Ivan walked us through the whole process of the original experience and how it was going to work. And then you know this about me. I start harassing Jesse, Tim. Okay, so you've got Beverly Hills. What are you going to come and deploy? we got to be your launch city. Rodeo Drive, we're going to shut it down for you. Whatever you need. One day, Grayson. Yeah, one, one day, but no longer in Beverly Hills. Now I'm in Palm Beach. Now you've got an island to deploy on. So we'd love to have you here for the season. You've got a great way to generate revenue. And you and I talk about this a lot. You've got an incredibly designed vehicle. Competitors of yours have beautiful products as well, but not as nice. But nobody's focused really truly on the business of autonomy, of how are you going to make money. So I look at your vehicle. You, you put it here in the season. You can generate a lot of money because you can charge higher fares, but you've got the new relationship with Amazon now. And that becomes interesting because one of the fastest growing over-the-top video services is Amazon Prime Video. So wait a second. Now you start, you've got this incredibly designed experience. You've got an incredible visionary chairman in Amazon. You can start building some incredible experiences in there. And you could have movie night in the Zooks vehicle as it cruises around. I had a friend over this weekend and I said, you know, it'd be awesome. And we have an outdoor TV. I said, let's watch Jaws in the, in, at night in the pool. You have that really great experience. I said, it'd probably freak the living pajamas out of the kids, but it would be an experience. So I can't wait to see what experiences Zooks is going to create in your vehicle. Was that the, you have a very good relationship with Tim Kentley Clay, and the gentleman was a complete class act to me and a, and a wonderful gentleman. 
Was it his vision that sold you on Zooks because you had the relationship with Eric Schmidt? You talked to BMW. And there's a funny thing with some of the BMW. If you look back in history, they didn't even have cup holders in the old BMWs. Mm-hmm. Was it that vision that drove you there? Well, it was the initial sort of, this is a really big idea. This is a really big idea that is going to be a game changer for safety, reducing safety risks on our road, improving mobility, and then helping cities decarbonize, right? As we look at what's needed to wean ourselves off of greenhouse gases, as we look at the 39,694 people killed in crashes last year on public roads, right? We know what causes the bulk of those crashes. And then most importantly, connection, right? This is designed to help people move from point A to point B wonderfully, to help people connect with one another. And so it's not just developing technology for technology's sake, but what is the reason why the technology is being developed? Who's it for? And, you know, at Zooks, the vision is, is it's, it's for everybody. It's, it's for the world. Now it's going to take some time to get there and you've got to start from somewhere. But that big and bold idea, that vision has been incredibly important for the organization to scale, grow, to attract amazing people over its now seven year history. You mentioned safety and we both know Dr. Rosekind. Why was safety built into the culture from day one? Because knowing your team for God, six, six, seven years now, you never cut corners. It was always top priority, top priority, top priority. Why is that? You know, so one of the things that we say is that at Zooks, we do not say safety is our top priority. So, you know, you can hear any number of people say when there's an incident that safety is our top priority. It's a pithy line. It's trite. It's overused. We emphasize this from day one in employee orientation, that safety is foundational to what we're developing. And it's got to be. You have to have safety. This is not merely taking code and deploying it via the app store or via the web, right? We're not just building software here. This is hardware and software together. This is going to be on public roads, interfacing with members of the public, with other people. And we have a huge responsibility as developers to be safe, to develop safety, to make people feel comfortable that they can raise their hand if in the development cycle, they're seeing something unsafe happening. And it's just so important. And safety is a journey. You're always trying to develop safety. You're never finished with baking safety into the system. And so we try to get those points across People have got to trust this technology, and without safety, you will not have trust in this technology. You can have amazing consumer experiences too, but they've got to be safe. Without trust, the whole ecosystem collapses. If the consumers do not believe that it can take their grandma to the store or to the beauty parlor, collapses. If me and you as parents, we can't send our children to school, it collapses. Lessons in life and autonomous mobility. I yeah, completely agree. <laughs> That's why SAE and, and you guys were a big supporter of the demo days years ago. That started to help to build that trust, as we said internally at SAE, to demystify it. Yeah. Since safety is a journey at Zooks, is that one of the advantages of the custom-built vehicle where you can build in different safety innovations and various different things that could not be happened in a traditional retrofitted vehicle? I think that's part of the story. I think 
you know, being able to control your own destiny is one of the other big reasons behind developing your own vehicle. But, you know, this is fundamentally new technology. It's not like when we went from the age of the horse and carriage to the age of the automobile, we kept the internal combustion engine and the horse, right? We got rid of the horse. Changes were made in the actual form factor of the vehicle. And you had a system developed, a vehicle, a piece of hardware developed that gave the human driver everything he or she needed to be able to drive safely, to see as much as they could out of the window so the vehicle could move forward safely. I think in the context of a purpose-built vehicle that's built around the AI driver, right? You want to give that AI driver everything the system needs to be able to see safely out. And you can build in multiple sensors in multiple locations. You can use different sensor modes, all of that to help build trust in the system. From a policy standpoint, is it more complicated to, when you build a purpose-built vehicle? Or is it just similar, just following the DMV, the state law, the federal laws? Are there certain things that you have to work on? I think it, it's a huge opportunity for both the developers, the innovators, and the regulators to work together on how to adequately manage risk when this technology is in the market. So what excites me about is how are you setting the high bar, setting the standards, collecting the data that will inform the eventual regulations in this space. But I also think at the same time, it's important that we don't regulate too quickly in this space. There are really important safety regulations that exist on the books today, but you know everybody, especially in the, the regulatory side of the equation, still learning a lot about this technology and how it works. And the industry itself is still in intensive development cycle. And you don't want to do anything that would necessarily get in the way of that development and, you know, put certain requirements out there for that must have X number of sensors or, you know, in these specific locations, you need to create the conditions where innovation can take place safely where data can be collected and shared comfortably. And then what do you do from that point forward? So I think the industry is doing a number of things to help that process along, but the data must drive the eventual regulations in this space. And I mean, I know you've seen a number of things over your tenure and involved in, in SAE and you know how, how do you see that playing out? The biggest problem you have is you get a local politician or a state politician that wants to make a name for themselves and get in the news and make a big stink about something and that causes problems it's doing it to make a name for yourself not doing what's right for your constituents not doing what's right for society mm. doing it from a purely political point to make a point where there's a gentleman a state senator from missouri that decided sorry state uh, house representative decided he wanted to be a state senator so he decides to go bonkers and start throwing bombs with no intellectual facts. Well, thank God the great citizens of the state of Missouri realized that this gentleman was bonkers. That's what concerns me, is the overregulation when you don't meaningfully understand the technology. And my big fear in this industry is what's happening in crypto, where you get some politicians that go on a holy war that decides that this is the way it's going to be without truly understanding it. That is the biggest problem facing this industry. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think education 
is really important. I think developers of this technology have have a responsibility to help educate. I mean, one of uh, our mutual friends, Senator Jeff Brandis, I think is somebody who, who you also introduced this to. <laughs> but A, understands the opportunity of the technology, but B, like took the time to learn a lot about it and get educated. And he has a tremendous amount of credibility in this domain. Senator Brandis, thank you for that. That was very kind because he, he calls me up and I was still living in California. Silicon Valley, come meet me. And oh, by the way, I want to meet the autonomous vehicle company, Suku Mitsu. I called Bert. Hey, Bert, Senator Brandis from Florida wants to come by and, and meet you. And you were very kind along with the leadership team to host uh, Senator Brandis. And he was very happy about that. But Senator Brandis is unique because he rolls up his sleeves and wants to learn about the technology. He wants to experience it and meet the people. It's the same thing in criminal justice reform. He's visiting prisons and learning this insurance he's learning flood markets and visiting flood issues he's an example of a politician that will roll his sleeves up to actually understand it and talk to all sides not just one side and we need more of that the my wife and i talk about this a lot the one thing you need in politics is the ability more than ever now to have a conversation with somebody you don't agree with you might learn something or read a book or by an author that you might not agree with you can learn something there's a happy medium in there when you so you look at this and you have some really good state politicians, you have Governor Ducey in Arizona who's been very friendly to this industry and's taken the time to learn and interact with it. You had Governor Scott now Senator Scott, very good to this industry in Florida. Governor DeSantis very good to this industry here in Florida as well. You're starting to see in Governor Abbott in Texas, you're starting to see states that are becoming friendly and individuals in there. And in Texas has the was it the North Central Texas Regional Council of Governments with Thomas Bonmonte, who has been on a previous podcast. He rolls his sleeves mm-hmm. up to learn about that. Yeah. As you get these individuals that say, hey, Bert, I want to learn about this technology. I want to, how, how can we put this in our community? How can we allow a single mother to send her child to a better school? What type of infrastructure do you need? Once you have these individuals that roll in your sleeves up, do you even need a national Thomas vehicle policy at first? Or do you start rolling in these communities and states where the regulations and the communities want you because you'll have a meaningful impact on society and their local communities? You know, there's a lot to that. And I do think that on the whole, a national autonomous vehicles policy is really, really, really important. At the same time, this is me holding my breath. You know, we've talked about at the federal level, uh, federal cybersecurity policy or federal privacy policy. You don't yet see these big policies. And so, you know, we've been talking about cybersecurity and privacy for decades now. And AVs, we've been talking about them for a while, too, but they've really been on the public conscious now for, I would say, for the past decade, six, seven years. And I still think it's going to be quite a ways to get to a federal AV framework. I think it would send a really, really important signal to the rest of the world that the U.S. wants to harness this technology, channel this technology, and get it out there for the safety, mobility, and sustainability benefits. At the same time, I think, as, as you pointed out, right, there is a lot of really interesting activity and interest in ensuring that this technology can deploy in local markets. And I think one of the ideas that people need to get comfortable with is like this technology is not going to be everywhere all at once. It's going to be a very, very shallow ramp into society. And the other big observation or thing that people need to make whenever they're 
talking about autonomous vehicles or autonomous technologies, you know, well, what do you mean by that? There are so many different use cases for autonomous technology out there. You know, at Zooks, we happen to be working on a use case of robo taxis in dense urban environments. But as we know, there's a lot going on with trucking right now. There's a lot going on with sidewalk delivery, other cargo delivery, right? There's, you know, autonomous drone delivery. So there's just a lot of a lot of different use cases. And so people really need to get comfortable with like asking that next question. So it's like, you know, what do you mean by that? But this is going to actually play out at a local level. And all politics is local, all concerns are local, and it's incumbent upon developers of this technology that then put their systems out on the public roads to spend time with local officials with local law enforcement and first responders to you know help everybody understand what this technology is and what it isn't what its capabilities are what they aren't and you know to go back to your question all of that is going to take place regardless of whether we have a federal framework more power to the people who are expressing interest in this technology a federal framework would send a loud and clear message from a geopolitical perspective the united states is open to innovation the United States embraces innovation. The United States is the home of innovation. From a geopolitical standpoint, that's the message it sends loud and clear, and it's a message that we should send because America is the home of innovation. It is an incredible country to live in, and I'm thankful to live in this country. You said all politics are local. We're seeing that. I'm not getting into this right now, but you're seeing the school board debates across the country, so it is definitely local. But policy decisions also have consequences. You're having decisions that are made in your backyard in San Francisco, they're having negative consequences. Decisions made in Sacramento, they're having negative consequences. When do the local businesses that are impacted stand up and say, wait a second, jobs are going to Las Vegas, jobs are going to Phoenix, jobs are going to Miami, and I'm not selling as much coffee. They're not coming in to order sandwiches or, or salads. When do these local businesses step up and say, your policies that are anti-autonomous vehicle are actually hurting small business. You know, I think, you know, less about sort of the opposition or the let's pitch a fit on it. But I think it's like looking at local leaders who really harness and embrace the opportunity, who get the fact that it's really important to reduce safety risks on our roads. So you know, you see a lot of people getting behind the Vision Zero movement, which is really a great goal. But the status quo is not going to help us achieve zero deaths and zero injuries on our roadways. You know, we see a lot of cities around the world putting in place mandates around battery electric vehicles uh, within certain city zones. And so I think those kinds of activities are really what what we're looking at. So recognizing opportunities to connect people, to decarbonize, to improve safety outcomes on our road. You know, that's what we want to hear more of from state and local officials. I totally agree. Safety is paramount. You have individuals, and I think it's a national epidemic, of distracted driving. They stare at their phones. They're not paying attention to the road. I said on a previous podcast, and I still can't believe I saw this, I saw somebody eating ice cream driving with their knees out of a bowl on the 101. <laughs> I've seen women with curling irons, curling their hair, driving on the 101. You're highly distracted. Yeah, so, you, you know, in, in a Zooks vehicle, you can 
enjoy your ice cream. You can curl your hair. You can, you know, do whatever you want because you don't have to worry about the driving task. It's going to be amazing. That's the key. You can have your ice cream on your way to work, on your commute, and you can have that really great experience, but you're not putting anybody in jeopardy. Because I, I, I talked to, it was two years ago with Dr. Rose kind of the SE government industry, and we were talking about crashes and, and fatalities. And Dr. Rose kind and I were talking about you have a famous individual, a celebrity, a well-known politician that perishes in a car crash. It's headline news all around the world for a couple days. That's right. But when an individual that's not famous or not well-known perishes in a car crash, that's a tragedy to their family because that individual was a celebrity to their family. And that's what we have to really come around to that it's, we have to do something to, to stop this distracted driving. The system that you and the wonderful team at Zooks built is the solution because there's no pedals, there's no steering wheel. You don't have to worry about if somebody's distracted or taking photos or whatever they might be doing in the vehicle because they're in a safe cocoon. Yeah, and that's not to say we're going to eliminate fatalities or injuries from day one, but this technology, allowing this technology, you know, will give us permission to start on the journey to help reduce fatalities and injuries on our roadway. But it's going to be a multi-decade effort. So, you know, we all need to learn a lot about this technology, what it is, what it isn't and ask the right questions, ask the tough questions, and get ready. One of the biggest questions, I go on Reddit boards and I do searches and you see around and ask, and so I'm going to ask you, the number one thing is, what is the rider experience going to be like inside the Zook vehicle? You see all these wonderful videos you post of the really cool lights that go on top, the way that it's designed with the charging for your phones. Could you shed any light so you have a passenger getting picked up in San Francisco going to meet a friend for lunch. What is that experience going to be like for that individual? So what I would say there is stay tuned. You had mentioned earlier that when you first met Zooks, you got to ride around on one of our early test mules at the Stanford Linear Accelerator. I am pleased to inform you that the ultimate Zooks experience has improved since then. To be able to go from, from that, when I first met the company, to go on very, very complex rides uh, on the streets of San Francisco in the Toyota Highlander vehicles, which is what we test in every day today, to now into the vehicle that we revealed to the world last December. You know, that vehicle experience, I think, is going to be very special and very unique. But at the end of the day, it's designed to give you your time, your time to do the kind of work you want to do, to do the kind of socializing that you want to do. And so I look at this as a way to increase productivity. I think you can also look at, you know, use your imagination. And I think you're much more imaginative than, than I am <laughs> to figure out what kinds of things you can, you know, layer onto that vehicle experience. And the sky's the limit. I mean, look at the Khalid music video from just a couple of weeks ago, right? He painted a picture of a world in which, you know, you're sitting in this vehicle riding in a city. And, you know, he's thinking, right? If you want quiet time, this could be a refuge. If you want to be socializing, this could be an opportunity for that. So uh, I think it could be many things to many different customers and, and people. I was so happy when I saw the music video. And you know this about me. And I've been saying this for a long time. Once you put an autonomous vehicle in a music video, now it's part of popular <laughs> culture. 
I'm a big fan of Rick Ross, and so I, I keep DMing him, and I'm like, come on, because he talks about John Deere trackers a lot. I'm like, you got to put the boss in a Zooks vehicle. <laughs> I mean, come on, you, you got you're in the Khalid video, but now you got to get go. Rick Ross the boss. Yeah. You gotta you gotta do it. So come on, let's. I mean, how cool would that be? That'd be great. It would be great. The more, the merrier. Because now you're a part of culture. Hip hop culture is one of the most underrated, important cultures in America. Hip hop individuals are some of the smartest, wisest entrepreneurs we've ever ever seen in in our lifetime and lifetimes before. Because what hip hop entrepreneurs understand better than anybody, they understand two things: one, the value of a brand, and two, how to monetize that brand. And our industry can learn so much from the hip hop community because it's a wonderful community and they're some of the savviest business people. So now that I've made my pitch to Bert and the team of Zooks, <laughs> please call up Rick Ross and get the boss in the in the vehicle. When you do it, I'd love to come for the day. There you go. Absolutely. Let's make it happen. So you have this incredible vision at Zooks. You're executing on it. Now you're part of yep. the wonderful Amazon and a buddy of mine, Roger and I joke, Amazon's at our house every day. It's absolutely awesome. <laughs> when I met you, you guys were independent, doing cool things at the accelerator. Now you're in one of the most innovative, visionary companies in the history of mankind. And you've got that big fancy office and thank you for the tour in Foster City. What is it like going from Zooks, this cool startup with this incredible vision to this really cool, innovative company? It's a privilege. You know, Amazon is an amazing company. They are a, a very patient, long-term investor. They think very deeply about the future. They work backwards from the customer. I think being able to instill a lot of the leadership principles or the Amazon leadership principles in a company like Zooks is, you know, just really a, a huge opportunity for us all. It's exciting, right? It was such an exciting transition at a moment in the world when there was just a lot going on. They've been a great partner over the past year. You say they're a great partner. My opinion, they're an awesome partner because they supercharged your growth and you're going to be able to do incredible things. And there's all sorts of things going inside of Amazon that, you know, who only knows, but I could tell you from a customer standpoint and the great Stu Leonard philosophy, the customer is always right. They're going to do something special with Zooks, and when that happens, I can't wait to see it because Amazon doesn't make a transaction or move like this unless there's a long plan. So I can't wait to see as that vision is unveiled because if your vehicle is behaving the way that Highlander did, I'll never forget at that time, I think it was me, you, and Jesse, or Jesse and I, you put me in the vehicle, and the way that there was a, I think it was a FedEx or UPS truck, and the vehicle didn't even hesitate to move around it absolutely flawlessly seamlessly and i came back bro you're never gonna believe us this thing was the most amazing maneuver holy smokes like oh that's normal <laughs> and it was yeah. just the way yeah. you did that complex maneuvering in san francisco was incredible then the other thing that the zooks got right before the industry and society adapted to it was the electrification strategy why was electrification at core six seven years ago when now it's core of everybody's strategy why was it core back then it had to be. I mean, you, know, you saw where the puck was going uh, in terms of the importance of weaning ourselves off of greenhouse gases of carbon fuels. And so, you know, I think it was a very, very important tenant of the vision, understanding where battery technology was going, understanding that you could actually have really big batteries in the vehicle that would ensure that you actually don't have to 
return to base after every ride or every other ride or every four rides to recharge, right? That's such a huge opportunity to not have to like go back to a, a base to put gas in the car, right? And cities don't want gas powered cars on their roads. It's an opportunity to help, again, cities solve problems around uh, safety, mobility, and sustainability. Putting that all together, what are your thoughts in general on the autonomous vehicle industry? You've got the Zook's vision. Others have the other's vision. What are your thoughts in general on the industry? I think it's it's exciting. I think the best is yet to come. I think there's a huge opportunity for continued growth and innovation, you know, to be able to spend time in an industry at this stage. It's a huge privilege and an honor. As I said, you know, driving around a loop on a closed course is one thing, but to be able to do it in a city is quite another. And, you know, just to see the strides that everybody's making, I think competition is very healthy. I think it's a really, really motivating thing in this space. And the more, the merrier. We're, now that the companies are maturing, some are going public, some are getting acquired, when will the industry shift and realize that this is no longer a science project, this is a business? Do you think that's coming sooner rather than later? Well, I think, again, this goes back to looking at how deployments will take place. And I think you know, a couple of phrases, shallow ramp, right? This is going to be very, very gradual. It's going to start out within you know, smaller areas within cities and then gradually expand out. And so I would just, you know, urge people to be patient and excited, but we are solving problems around safety, mobility, and sustainability, but there is also an expectation of return on capital. And so these are all businesses under development. Investors will want to make a return on what they've invested into these businesses. So it's an important aspect of the industry but you've got to nail the safety part, right? You've got to get that trust part right at the early days or else you won't have a business. No trust, no business, no revenue, no business. It all goes back to trust and safety. The public has to, to trust it. So you've got that aspect. So when will Zook start to commercialize? Is that coming in sooner rather than later? Our great CEO, Aisha, was, she likes to say that it won't be next year, <laughs> but uh, it'll be soon thereafter. And, you know, we do have our roadmaps and, and our timelines. You know, we we're so excited to be able to, to reveal our vehicle to the world at the end of a really crazy 2020 and to spend this year doing more safety testing and validation, which is so important. And, you know, we'll do it at the right time, you know, at a moment that we feel confident in the readiness of the technology in a place that is also ready to accept the technology. And so I would say to stay tuned on that. Thank you for not putting a date and time on that because those days are over. The baloney dust has, has sailed. It went the way of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. It went into retirement. That stuff's got to stop because we don't know. You don't know. The policy regulatory landscape could change. You have a change in, in administration. You could have a change in consumer trust. You could have a big major safety breakthrough, an engineering breakthrough. So thank you for not putting a, a date and a time that everybody can harass and hold you to because when the time is right, you'll launch and you're going to do a really good job launching. When you launch, what is the future of Zooks? Is it just to operate and 
dense urban environments and say, okay, start in one city, then go to the next city, then go to the next, and eventually expand out? What does that vision look like? You know, use your imagination, right? It's, as I said, not everywhere all at once, but once you do it in one or two cities and you develop the playbooks and make them repeatable and predictable, it's still a very complex undertaking to build the infrastructure and do what one needs to do to get ready for prime time in a city. And so really proving out those first couple of markets is really important before you can have that grander ambition. I have a pretty good imagination and a pretty good sense on things, but I'll leave that for another day. But I will say this, please come to Florida Zooks. We want you here with open arms, the entire state from the governor's office down to the local level. We want Zooks. So Zooks, please come to Florida. You're welcome here. You'll do great things here and you'll have a positive benefit on the residents of Florida. So please come. My team, they give me a hard time about this because every week we do a new employee orientation and one of our lines in the presentation is this, like, our technology, we're ready for prime time today. The state that I would want to be in is, is Florida for all the reasons that you just said, right? It's a population group of potential customers that could tremendously benefit from this technology. You've got, you know, a very, very positive policy and regulatory environment there as well. So, yeah, I'm sold. Got to work on some, uh, some of my colleagues. But we're, as I said, still in, uh, in intense development. Well, I got a few friends on here. Perhaps we'll make uh, some shirts that says uh, Florida Love Zooks, and we'll send them out to there your you team. <laughs> Excellent. And Bert, as we look to wrap up this fun and insightful conversation, what would you like the listeners to take away with them? Yeah, stay tuned. And thank you, Grayson. It's been This has been a really, really fun discussion. It's always really awesome to get to talk to you, to run into you randomly on the mean streets of Palm Beach. Where else, you know, LA, DC, where else do we run into each other? All over the place. You know, I think this is about creating an amazing experience for the future, for really solving problems. You know, it's not a question of if, but when. And you'll start to see transitions over the next, you know, multi, you know, several decades. But the world will look different. You know, you can still, by the way, if you want to ride a horse, you still have that option available to you. We have not entirely made horses obsolete, but I do think that, you know, if you look at what takes place, what you see on the roadway today, it will look different 20 to 30 years time. There's no doubt about it. What we do know is it's going to be a fun and exciting future. If you asked me 20, 25 years ago that video games become a multi-billion dollar industry, no. If you asked me before that about the rise of comic books becoming a multi-billion dollar industry with all the franchises with marvel and dc comics no the same thing could be said about autonomous vehicles for an individual who not really familiar with us or this industry it's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry as well that people didn't see coming and that's the fun thing about america and that's the fun thing that america allows individuals with a passion and a grind to build something great and to innovate yes and when they build yes. something great and they raise capital they create jobs and they create high paying jobs. And when those individuals, and if you're so fortunate enough to go public or be acquired by a large company, you go fund more innovative startups. And that's what makes America special. America is the home of innovation. It's value, right? It's, you yeah. know, no, I totally, I'm with you. This is what we need more of. We need more American success stories like Zooks. As I said, Zooks is still in AAA, about to graduate to the majors. But they're an American success story 
that is doing really great, wonderful things. And we wish the entire team of Zooks nothing but success and good luck as you're on your road to autonomy. Because the future is bright, the future is autonomous, and the future is Zooks. Bert, thank you so much for coming on the road to autonomy. Thank you, my friend. It's excellent to spend time with you, and we'll have to do it again. Awesome. Sounds good. You as well. Thank you for listening to the Road to Autonomy podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at Road to Autonomy or email podcast at brultece.com. The Road to Autonomy is produced by Brulte & Company. The views and opinions expressed on the Road to Autonomy podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Brulte & Company. The content discussed on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, tax, investment, or business advice.